podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Strategy Cast. We're coming to you after a three-all draw with Everton. Disappointing, Mike. It feels like a loss after drawing such such a way and taking the lead twice and having a two-goal lead at half-time. Fair to say we threw that one away. Yeah, we did. Um, once again, United's excellent play going forward. And United were very good for long spells in this game. I thought they played well. Gary Neville said this for Sky Sports as well after the game. that He felt United, in many respects, had played well. Um, the front four were excellent for, for United. I thought Greenwood had his best game of the season uh, and looks like a really good option playing off that right-hand side. I thought Scott McTominay midfield winning the ball high up the field. Uh, charging down loose passes by Everton players in their own third was excellent. But once again, Dale, the defence has let those guys down. All that work that they've done to get United in position to win the game makes me think I'll make a bit of a cricket analogy, so this may not click with everyone, but me, I'm a big cricket fan in England for years, have a fantastic bowling attack, and they're always let down by the work of their batters. So they're always having to make up the work for them. And it's tended to cost them matches, especially in the last four or five years. And this is the situation with United. This defence is costing United games. It's costing us points, Dale. And it seems like the only way that United can actually maintain a relatively sound defence is if we just don't really go and attack the game. So you saw it against Liverpool, where we just didn't go after the game for a good hour. Arsenal quite passive as well. Chelsea earlier in the season, Man City, these games where we just never, we never even really made an attempt to go in the game. That's apparently the only time that we can actually get anything uh, approaching a, a coherent and cohesive unit defensively. But we spoke about last week about the need for a holding midfielder, and that is still very much the case. That should be a high priority for Manchester United in the summer. But I've been banging on about the defence for ages. They need a better centre half because Victor Lindelof and Harry Maguire are not good enough to be the first choice centre-half to Man United. They're just not. And frankly, I don't think we have anyone amongst our centre-halves that can really stamp their name down as really seriously claiming to be good enough to be a first choice defender for an elite club. You know, United have a Champions League competing level attack and they have a relegation zone defence. That's what they have. Yeah, no, we've we've raised these concerns about the defence many times this season. Yeah, no, yeah, I didn't podcast. even get started on De Gea, by the way. I'm sure we'll yeah, get to him. That's the point I wanted to make, that although we've, we've pointed out how bad we played defensively yesterday, that was no surprise. But De Gea's howlers, um, that's what cost us the game. Uh, well, not, not solely that, but I think when we went 3-2 ahead, I was very much thinking, like, if we throw this away now, we only have ourselves to blame for for being there was, in this situation. There was, there was warning signs there, though, that Gary Neville had highlighted in the first half, because Gary Neville had seen Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin constantly making runs on the channels on the two defenders. They were basically yeah. going one-on-one one with the two centre-halves. And Calvert-Lewin and, and Richarlison are far quicker and more agile than those than Lindelof and Harry Maguire. And I just don't think... Either of those two, Lindelof does actually more so than Maguire, but I definitely don't see the tactical acumen in Harry Maguire where he can compensate for that to be able to make sure that they're not going to constantly get rinsed. And you could see it in in 
you could see it in that game. Like Neville was almost tearing his hair out in frustration that Everton just weren't playing the balls forward to the two forwards, right? That Rodriguez was too deep and he wasn't doing enough. Right after we scored the second, they had a chance, Dale. You remember when Lindelof was fanning about on the ball um, near the corner of his our, our 18-yard box and he got caught out and Richarlison almost scored. He saw, he caught De Gea out and he almost scored. Not that I blame De Gea for that one. I think De Gea's positioning was fine. It was the defenders who let him down. And then in the second half, as soon as Everton started actually looking for those runs with the ball and you saw Rodriguez getting more involved in the game, that was when United were in real trouble because that first 10 minutes of the the second half, Everton were all over us. They got the two goals. There was a couple of other chances of a better final ball they could have been in as well. We had warning shots in the first half. They didn't heed them. And then we ended up being dragged back in seven minutes like that. That's not good enough. Like An elite-level team should not be... A team that's really got designs of competing for the league should not be conceding a 2-0 lead in seven minutes at home. Just should, shouldn't do it. Or anywhere. Never mind at home. Doesn't matter. Just shouldn't do it. Speaking of, of Gary Neville's analysis, he, he, he did say afterwards that he thought United played well. Um, I, I, I'm not sure because if you if, if you defend like that and you commit goalkeeping mistakes like that, I don't think you can look at the overall performance and say the team played well. There no, we, they got what they deserved for the for the mistakes that they made. Yeah. But we were really good going forward. Really we good. were great when we got going forward. Yeah. We remind me a lot of um, where Liverpool were probably about four or five years ago, I think. We're really good going forward, but just lacking any kind of discipline or organisation defensively. And it took a few players for them to, to, to really sort that out. And that's really what United need to be targeting. I know what you're saying about a right winger. And that should still be up there, but I still think a centre-half and a central midfielder needs to be a higher priority. Well, you look at yesterday, and that's three points if we had a, a back four, a solid back four, I feel. I feel if we had most of those, if we had a perform like most games, right, with that front three yesterday, I think we're winning with a solid defence. So it's fine margins that I think every week we go into games and we concede set pieces and we feel from set pieces we're vulnerable, which we, we are really, really bad at defending set pieces. And we'll get to some questions that we got this week and, and some, some some of you have asked, asked about some of the coaching at United. Um, the defenders just, they're, they're not doing the basics and it's it's worrying. It, it, it's the reason why this team, I don't feel should be considered title contenders this early, Mike. We'll get to all these comments shortly. But this team finished, was it 33 points behind Liverpool last season? Never expected to be in in a a title race this season. But we found ourselves in a position where we're quite close to City. Um, With, I I don't know, was it 13, 14, 15 games to go or so? Um, So it's getting close. But I still don't feel that this team to me, looks like a team that's going to win a title because of what we just spoke about with the defence. And I think when Ali spoke about that yesterday, um, Dylan asks, ask Mike what he thinks about Solskjaer's comments stating we shouldn't be considered as Premier League contenders. And if he was any other manager, would he not be slated for that? Um, so I think for ourselves, as I know we're fans, but we are more objective observers that we're from the outside looking in, right? And we can... Um, we, you know, listen, we don't have any personal loyalty to anyone there at the club, so we can m- make a, a more even-handed judgment. 
I think we both said we don't really seriously consider this team serious title challenges. We're not as good as Manchester City, that's for sure. I think we can say Man City are the best team in the country right now, right? Yeah. yeah. I think that's fair to say, and have probably for much of the last three years or so have been the best team in the country. Um, and United are a million miles away from that right now. I don't think a million um, miles I, I, away. Oh, I think we are. I think we are. I, th- I, I think a, a, a good transfer window, which I'm not expecting, by the way. But no, I don't. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think we are a million miles away. But that's why we're a million miles away because of what's going on off the pitch at the club. That's why we're a million miles away, Dale. So I just don't trust. You it's know, just, there was it, there was, it, there, was it, there was stories going out in the press in the previous 48 hours that United were changing their transfer plans in the summer because of. Harry Maguire's form. So obviously someone at the club had been briefing that to people in the media somewhere, saying that they were happy with that defence and they didn't feel they need to go out and buy some defenders. That's bollocks. They need to go out and buy defenders. We've been saying this for God knows how long. We were saying this last season. United looked shaky coming back from the lockdown defensively last season for all the work going forward. Um, The goalkeeper is a real area of concern as well. And I think, yeah, Solskjaer, had that been another manager without the good grace amongst United fans and the ex-pros, I think so, I think that person would have been slated for saying that. Mourinho had said stuff like that when he was in charge at United, and he got slated for it. He did get slated for it. He's been slated for it now at Spurs for getting him into a position earlier in the season where they could then start to make a run at it. But Mourinho got slated for a lot more than that. Yeah, Which... but he did get slated. He did get slated. He did get slated for that. He did get slated for that. And, you know, people like Van Hal and Moyes were criticised for playing down expectations as well. But when Solskjaer does it, apparently that's fine. I happen to agree with Solskjaer. I just don't know if he should be saying that publicly. Well, um, And just... I don't think the players should be lowering their standards. I don't think people in the club, when they're in the position that they are now, should be lowering their standards. They should be thinking, we have an opportunity Let's take it as far as we can. Just, just two points on that. So, so the first one, I think when Ali Galasoshar is speaking in front of a camera with Sky Sports, and then when he's inside the dressing room, you can be guaranteed he's speaking with a very different tone with the players because he wants them to push themselves. He wants the players to push boundaries and to want to win this title. And I'm sure when they're inside the dressing room, they are speaking about a title race. But with the media, and um, what the the point, the second point I wanted to make was, Solskjaer's actual quote is, "We're not talking about winning titles. This team has come a long way." Okay, so the question was, does this change the status as Man United's title contenders? And what Solskjaer is getting at is, it's too early. There's no title race yet, it, and he actually points it to the to the reporter that that's for you to talk about because. It is, it, it is us. It's the media that have been have been talking about a title race before one That's the even media's begins. job. It is. That's the media's job. It, it is. But Solskjaer wants to separate that and to kind of say that we haven't been speaking about winning a title this season because, let's face it, it, ha- it wasn't our objective when the season started. That wasn't Solskjaer's objective was to win the Premier League this season. And to win a trophy and you won't win a trophy making mistakes like that. No, and w- absolutely, but that's what—that's the whole point. This team shouldn't be considered title contenders. Uh, if, if we're if we're in this position with ten games to go, maybe ten games to go, and we're four or five points off City, well, then I think we can talk about maybe putting some pressure on and and farming a title race. But right now, it's way too soon. 
way too soon. I think that's the point Solskjaer was making. That there's no title race. The City are, are the best team in England right now. They're on top. And today, I, I, the podcast w- will be published, um, obviously, after City and Liverpool take place today. But we don't know what the outcome of that will be. But a, a win for City will see them bridge an even bigger gap. Um, and I think a, a win for City could completely see Liverpool written off. I'd see everyone written off, I think, the hell. Yeah, yeah, possibly. But this is but this is not a surprise. This is... You know, if, if Manchester United can be the second best in England this season, well, that's a step forward from last season when we were the third best. And my, we, did, we didn't concern, even get the my... credit for that last season because Solskjaer, we had a bad start to the season. We climbed back up the table and finished third, overlapping Chelsea and Leicester. Solskjaer didn't get the credit for that because it was considered a, I don't know, a, a lucky streak because Bruno was, was, was a new signing. Well, we, we did, did get less. We did have less points at the end of last season than we had the season before. But but that doesn't matter, Mike. And and the and, we had, I mean, and, and that matter. season, didn't we have like the worst start we'd had to a season since about nineteen thirty or nineteen thirty one when United were managed by Herbert Bamlett? But this season we could have less points than what we had in so long and still win the league because it doesn't look like it's going to be a ninety point season. Do you know? We have to look at the, this season's a special season. It, it's congested fixtures, so many teams struggling. There's no one really with consistency. There's just, there's just not. City are going through a really good run right now, but at the start of the season, no one was talking about them in the same vein. You know, they, I, I agree, they will probably run on to win the league, but there's no one consistent this season. That game against Everton yesterday was an example of that. You know, and again, we've been saying it all season about the defence. It's a problem. It has to be addressed. And if it is true, someone's briefing that Harry Maguire is, 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 in the past few weeks is suddenly the solution, that everything is, is A-OK, that's, that's, that's complete crap. crap. And what I would think then, and what I am fearful of, is the Chevrolet deal is running out, they're pulling out, they're not, they're not renewing it, and there's no talk of another sponsorship company coming in. Isn't and, part of that because Chevrolet, I don't think, have got any money. <laughs> maybe, but, but but the question is, does anyone else have that money that, that Manchester United rely on from, from sponsors? Not that they just solely rely on sponsorship money, but it has a big saying in what we spend every summer. So if we go into to this transfer market in a few months' time without the financial backing of an incoming sponsor... Will Manchester United spend big? I think that's a fair question because every week, one of the questions asks this week about a transfer. We'll get to it shortly. But every week, people want to know about how Manchester United can strengthen and who's the next player that could could, could make us title contenders. You know, But realistically, if there's no sponsor, sponsor coming in, still no sign, there mustn't be that much interest. Or money in how the is that? How has that happened? How has that happened? So we, 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 this is the quest. This is what it falls on. There hasn't been a lot of talk or pressure put on Ed Woodward um, in the past few months, and people can say that's down to how the fact that the the first team are winning matches and they're near the top of the Premier League. But the pressure will come on in the summer if if the books don't read well, if the Glazers aren't willing to to free up cash for Solskjaer to spend, because that would be. Um, would be a, a big blow after what we've seen this season. We we have seen encouraging signs from this team. If, if United don't strengthen in the requisite areas, we will drop. We will start dropping down the league next we, season. It'll just go back to Fire and Solskjaer getting another manager, another two-year project. What we've seen this season is progress. This club has to back the manager in the summer. 
Now, you, hold I on. Don't trust I'm, 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 I might be saying that a bit prematurely because a lot can happen between now and the end of the season. But if Manchester United stay top three places, we can be happy with this season and see the progress we've we've made and, and, and want to see the club back to management somewhere. If they don't do that and they don't help him build a team that can win a Premier League title next season, um, that's worrying. That's if boring. we don't, it, the thing is, when you talk about backing the transfer manager, what that needs to be is players coming into key areas in the first couple of weeks of the the, the summer transfer window. Dale, it could be none of it scurrying around in the last week of the transfer window. It has to be done early, so United have those players ready in pre-season and they're buried in for when the season starts. If we get to a situation where the season starts and we don't have these players in Dale, this is not. That that is they have failed. But there is no pressure on Woodward really. Pressure from the fans is no pressure on Woodward. The only pressure Woodward has is from the people that pay him to be there. And seeing as he's the Glazers' own personal grima worm tongue, then that's never gonna happen. Like they'll never fire that guy. Yeah, I, I'm just beginning to wonder though, Mike, and I know the market at the moment is crazy, um, in the world with the global pandemic. But if they can secure an adequate sponsor. Will the Glazers then pile some pressure on Woodward? Because these guys might seem loyal to him. He helped them sort out the takeover in 2005. Um, but in business, there's no real loyalties. And if Manchester can't secure an adequate sponsor to replace Chevrolet, because let's not forget, in every sponsor we've basically had since the noughties and, and, and so on has been record-breaking. Where Manchester United announced Vodafone, it's a big statement. Manchester United, the biggest club in the world, and I'm sure that's what they're trying to push out for. But and they've always said that no matter what happens on the pitch, they'll always do well off it. Now, the pandemic has thrown things into in, into works, and it's just time to. And I want to mention it because people should start looking into those things and and seeing how it fares out. Because I expect this summer, I don't. I'm not expecting much, Mike. I'm just not. As, as, as long as the club pays the Glazers, I don't think the Glazers care. Well, there you go. And, and there's actually no question this week about the, the Super Bowl. Mike, have you any interest? Could not give less of a shit. <laughs> Me too. So we move on. Um, right. First question comes in from Andy, and it's for you, Mike. Ask Mike who is doing our defensive coaching. We have five training staff who can't do the basics at the back. Um, from what I've seen, I, I would have said um, the person doing the defensive coaching is uh, legendary old gun specialist Frank Sinclair. That's who sees him in the defensive coaching. Absolutely shocking errors at the back. You start with the goalkeeper, who once again has let the team down. I don't know. This goes back to something I've been saying repeatedly this season, that Solskjaer is far too loyal to certain players in that dressing room. De Gea should have been dropped long ago to give Dean Henderson a 15 to 20 game running the team. He, he did drop Martial not, after you said that, so maybe he listens to the podcast, Mike. I doubt it. And he still he still will not... And I can guarantee you, Dale, the next game, De Gea's going to be in goal. I can almost guarantee it. Dean Henderson, unless it's an FA Cup game, De Gea's going to be in goal for the next game. So I have no faith in the manager to make a decision. And I think this is where I wonder how much power Solskjaer is able to muster behind the scenes. Because the re- the only reason I can see that De Gea is being played 
is because of the contract he's on. That's the only reason, because United tied themselves like a fucking anchor to a, a guy that has been declining for three years, for over uh, two and a half years now, all the way back since the last World Cup, this guy's been in decline. It's been clear for everybody to see, and they gave him a record-breaking contract for a goalkeeper. That's completely insane. I, I don't understand why they've done it. I look across to Spain. I look at Barcelona. You look at the situation Barcelona are in now. Financially, they are galloping up diarrhea drive without a saddle because they sidled themselves to all of these declining ageing players on these enormous contracts. Busquets, 50 million a year contract. We saw the leak coming out this week of Lionel Messi getting, what, a 555 million contracts. Completely insane. You know, Jordi Alba, who's been on the slide for ages, he's got a massive contract. Real Madrid are in the same situation. And this is where United have ended up now. You know, all of these players that United can't get rid of and, or aren't willing to drop from the team because of the amount of money that they're paying them. It's completely mad. Well, it is an FA Cup game next. Um, and with that, I'm going to jump to Dave Cleaver's question. And it's on that mic. He asked De Gea out and Henderson in. And I suppose with that, he's, he's not just asking about the FA Cup game. He probably wants your view on whether it's time to to make that switch. You're, you don't think Solskjaer will do it, but... Do you think it's time? He's to not got the balls to do it, but he, he should put Henderson in for the next 10 to 15 games. The thing about that is, when Henderson has come in, I don't think he's pulled up trees. But that's because he's in, he has a game, and then he's out. So he can't get any rhythm, he can't build up any proper in-game work with his defenders. Like, you know, and that and a, goal, a, a goalkeeper is one of those positions. It's a little bit like a centre-forward, really. You have to keep playing them, you can't really rotate them that much, you have to play them and they have to get into a rhythm and he's not being given the opportunity to do that at all really, he comes in he, he has one game and it's like well he wasn't Gianluigi Buffon today so let's drop him and let's put the hair back in one, one tactical thing about Henderson is when he comes into the team, I've been critical enough of how much we, we want to play from the back with a bunch of defenders who aren't necessarily good at playing from the back they struggle Probably with it they, str- they, they struggle with it so if you throw in Dean Henderson into the mix I fear for that I don't know he's, he's not good with the ball his feet. he's not as good as the hair um, it's, it's, that's a big well, we situation need to be, we, need, we need to be looking at a goalkeeper a new goalkeeper then you have to go and look at a new goalkeeper there you go Michael Jordan reckons that we should sign our black in the summer <laughs> how much is that going to cost <laughs> <laughs> We're talking, talking about, about sponsors. <laughs> We're talking about sponsors, and then you're talking about signing the best. Is he the best goalkeeper in Spain, or certainly joint best with Mark Andre Ter Stegen? I think. I think he's um, the best for the best team in Spain, and they are the best team in Spain now. That's the coming to what 10, 10, 11 points clear. They're literally cantering to the league to the, the league title in Spain. They're absolutely. They've lost one game all season. If you're Jan Oblak. There's not, there's not, there's nothing in that move for you. Is even just the, even say we meet whatever crazy release causes in his contract, right? Which is probably about 100. And, let's just say, should we estimate about 120 million euros is probably the, the kind of release clause in, in his contract. Yeah. I think Griezmann's was about 120 million euros when Barcelona activated that with money that they apparently didn't have. But then if you're Jan Oblak, you'd be like, I'm quite happy here, thanks. Get to live in Madrid and playing for the best team in Spain. 
I would say arguably they had a shaky group stage. I still think Atletico Madrid, have, if they're not one of the best teams in Europe now, I think they will be in about a year or so. If you look at the players that they've got, Luis Suarez has come in and has been brilliant for them, which is hilarious because Barcelona is still paying part of his wages. In an ideal world, I'd say, yeah, sign but Jan Oblak. Thing but is, I'm more realistically, I'd say, what about Marc-Andre Ter Stegen? Barcelona could do with the money. Yeah, there you go as well. Um, but the thing about Oblak is, and what you were saying about what Diego Simone is, is building again at Atletico Madrid, <laughs> Diego Simone could be shitting pla- plaques of gold, unlimited plaques of gold. And Jan Oblak would still crawl to Manchester United. Of course he would. Course I don't know. I don't, I, don't, I don't think so. I, I, I think we as United fans maybe think because we're United fans and because we're based in the Republic of Ireland or the UK have a greater idea of Manchester United than maybe they do elsewhere. And especially where Manchester United have been for the last seven years. But Jan Arblak knew who Manchester United were growing up. So? Do you know who were let go? <laughs> it, it doesn't matter where they are. It doesn't matter. What matters is where we are now. I know, but yeah, exactly. We're on the cusp. We're on the cusp. We're on the cusp if the right in the summer, which isn't looking hugely likely right now. Right then. Uh, Damien Young wants to know, is it time to promote Diallo to the first team? Now, Diallo is part of the first team. He's just playing games. He's under 23 at the moment, but he's pulling up trees, Mike. Two games, three goals, three assists. One of them against Liverpool, two of those goals against Liverpool. Um, Mike, I watched him against Blackburn the other night. Really direct, really quick. Looks a good boy. And I think it's a player that we, 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 we've spoke about um, through texting the past few months. And neither of us knew really anything about him. But you were raising concerns about the, the, the price of the deal. Hopefully he'll turn out to be an excellent player. But are we really that desperate that we're talking about this already? I think with with the, the the draw against Sheffield or the defeat against Sheffield, the draw against Arsenal, even, and um, the result yesterday, I think those kind of blows let let people go to go crazy on social media, and they're calling for all sorts. Right now, I look at the the, the front three that started against Everton, and I don't necessarily see the need to to be pushing young players into that because you already have Mason Greenwood to be excited about. I think the Europa League will come um, and that would be a good opportunity for Diallo to get a to get a debut. Actually, I believe, uh, listening to MUTV, that he, he wants to be called Ahmad by commentary. So that's what we can call him, Ahmad. Um, so yeah, look, I'm excited to see him in action, of course, in the first team. But but there's a time and a place and I think that's something Solskjaer has, has nipped on the head really since he's come in is it? play some players into the team at the right time you know last season we haven't really seen much of, of um, Brandon Williams this season but last season he was fantastic he came into the first team and you know he offered something at left back something a bit different to Luke Shaw now this season he's out the picture because the standard at left back has just gone so high um, but 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 yeah I'd like to see him brought in at some stage but there can't be any rush with this Mike the, you need to be careful when you're throwing players in but but even his, his penalty against Liverpool a cheeky chip He's got cojones. Yeah, but it's an under 23s match, Dale. You know, I don't put a huge amount of stock in that. Ah, come on, Mike. We're allowed to get excited. I mean, you can, but <laughs> pretty sure my role in this podcast is to, is to bring everybody back to reality. <laughs> the realist. Um, look, of course, of course. He, he asked, we, we all hope he comes into the first team and can make an impact, but he's done that in the under 23s. 
which is where I suppose he, he's kind of his, his breeding ground now for a, for a few months maybe. But yeah, there's, there can be no rush. I think if he was a defender standing out in such a way, there might be more of a chance of him getting the run into the first team. But that wasn't the case for Mengi, who has joined Derby County on loan. But even then, the, the, the jump in standard from the under 23s to it's go huge. in. It's, yeah. it's huge. It's even going to be a big step up to just to go from playing in the under 23s to playing in the championship, Dale. Mm. So, As, you know, this yeah, is, this is why Mengi's Mangi's gone on loan. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And Ghana was someone that was very, very highly thought of. But he's, it, it, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a very, very tough league. So, he, he, um, he met his debut for Forest last week, and the reports from, from that were very positive. I think at Watford, it didn't help with the change of managers. He felt left out. And obviously, Combs with that is a different style. Um, he. he probably didn't fit the profile of player that that manager wanted at Watford. So I hope, hope the second half of the season from a Forest is, is a positive one. From watching him in the U team, he, he's a very promising player. We've Dylan Levitt now back in the U team as well. Um, but with that game against Blackburn the other night was, was, was terrific. It was There were problems defensively, of course, but they're missing a lot of personnel. It was very just very encouraging to see Ahmad and um, Hannibal their, their link-up play in the final third was 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 really easy on the eye. Yeah, Hannibal's an interesting one. His attitude's been somewhat under question, I think, in that in that under twenty threes. Yeah, I, I, maybe. I I I just think that he look. He's... I mean, I mean, he was called out on social media by one of his teammates for his attitude, which is not good. What was the what was the context? So we got that? we got. At, Absolutely tonked. I think it was off Chelsea. Didn't we get tonked about six nil in the under twenty threes? And he, uh, there was a photo of him, like sort of hugging and clapping hands with a Chelsea player and stuff like that. Talk about it was nice to see him again. And one of the first, in fact, the first of the, the highest upvoted comment was from Ted Mangi saying, "This is the problem in this team." It says too many friends, not enough enemies. So there's Ted Mangi calling out. The attitude of Hannibal Major. And the fact that he's been sent out on loan to a championship club to play hopefully first team football suggests to me maybe they have more time for Teran Mangi than they do for Hannibal, that they want to put him in, they want to get him some first team experience so he can come in soon. But at the end of the day, Dale, he's an 18 year old kid. When you're looking at centre halves, I think United could do be signing someone a little bit older with some more first team experience under his belt, really. Um, and, and on that though, you talked about Ahmad. I want to come on something to scouting. How did United miss out on fifteen million pound Pierre Emile Heiberg? Mm, that was something that we we spoke about during the week. He's a player that caught my eye, and this season he's not not just because he's a terrific footballer, Mike, but because he's a spitting image of you. <laughs> he's also a nasty piece of. Work as well on the pitch if you watch him play. But you, um, but yeah, fifteen million. So I wanted to make the point on that. We spoke about it briefly before we got recording. So Spurs got that sign in there, Jim. Great sign. There can be no excuses if Manchester United cannot afford Sancho, Haaland, Neymar, Mbappe, and all all those biggest names in football that that people who play say FIFA are are, are addicted to seeing their club sign. Okay, these kids are addicted to seeing their club sign and, and, and Ed Woodward would dream of making those signings because they get the most engagements on social media. The official app would be opened by 
everybody in the world. And that's what that's what they dream of. But realistically, these cheap signings that we see Spurs getting, it's proof that if your scouting network is really as good as what you make it out to be in the media, okay, you can find these players. So last summer we had Jadon Sancho as the prime target. Okay, that's that's the kind of player Man United should be targeting. The, the, the targets United had last summer were because this ended up being filtered all over the media at the end of the transfer window was Sancho, Jack Graylish, um, Upper Meccano, I think was one of them that that, we, that that Solskjaer wanted. And is there someone else that I'm missing out on here? I feel like there was four players. I've got three of them and there was one more player that I just can't remember that we were in for and he didn't get any of the players that he wanted. Yeah, so so with that, no, the manager has to accept that, okay, that every year you're not going to get all the signings you want. But my, my point is, which I don't find good enough, is with the, the scouting network bigged up to be revamped, we have a new scouting network and we're getting in these new signings and they're different pedigree and they're, they have the better character, we're looking into their background and, and all this kind of stuff. How can you not find the right winger in the entire world? Cheaper than 80 million, 70 million, 60 million, 50 million out there that could come into Manchester United and, and, and improve the team. So how do you spend? How do you spend um, 100 and, uh, 130 million pounds on your defence the previous season in Harry Maguire and Adam Wambasaka, and you end up with Harry Maguire, who at, at times looks like a public plodder and talks like one, completely indecisive. And the team that he left has ended up improving after he's left. And you've ended up with uh, a right-back who, um, good one-on-one defender that he is, um, a big part of what is needed from a full-back these days is getting forward. And in the opposition final third, he's so indecisive that he looks like Mr Burns choosing between ketchup and cats up in a supermarket before he's carted off to the nut house. I think that's unfair, Mike. I think he's getting better going forward. Takes way too many touches on the ball when he gets into a position where he should just be crossing it or looking for a ball into the box. Okay, but it, it, looking at the defence, Wambasaka is not the problem. Okay, I, I know you're not saying he's the problem, but like to pinpoint what needs he, fixing. He has been caught out of position a lot this season, Dale, and that's and a I th- real I th- worry. I, th- I think the biggest worry that I see from those... When did you, we've did seen you not that, watch him in that Leipzig game? When he was put, yeah. get dumped the same way over and over again and think, that's a worry. And that had happened several times in the space of a few weeks to him. You know, I think that can be worked on. I still think the guy's a centre-half. You mentioned that, yeah. Look, time will tell. But I think he's improving his game going forward. Defensively, I think he's he's trying to accommodate too a lot of time for playing beside two slow centre backs. Seen that last night with Shaw and and Juan Bissaka. Yeah, he was having to tuck in a lot. Having to tuck in a lot, and and that that's that's something that he has to do because the biggest problem we we both pointed out is still existing. When that changes and Wambasaki can carry out his duties as a, as a right back, look at the moment he's carrying out duties to cover for whoever he's playing alongside a centre back. He's also carrying out duties most weeks because we haven't got someone on the right flank. He's do, he's, he's playing about three positions some weeks. I think really this season, towards the, you know when the manager is sitting down and speaking to the board and to the owners, he needs to be laying it out and saying, look, where do you want to be? 
in another two years. Over two years at this, where do you want to be in another two years? Where do you want this team to be? Because you want this team to be really elite. This is what we need, and these are players that we're going to have to are going to have to be gotten rid of because they're just not at the required level. These are the players we're going to have to move on from. And he's going to have to say, if you can't do that, then there's no point in me being here. What's the point in managing Manchester United if you're happy with being third or fourth every year and not doing anything else? Like I said at the top of the show, we have a Champions League winning level attack and we have a relegation zone level defence. Problems need fixing. Um, another point I want to get to before we get to our last question and give a quick preview for the FA Cup game against West Ham is a tweet from one of our writers who actually sent in the last question, Brian Murphy. Um, he said, if Scott McTominay had chosen England over Scotland, he would be the talk of the Premier League. The price tag would be huge and the entire media would be... I'm not saying that word. Would be... I'm not saying that word. Um, <laughs> look, I picture, I, yeah, I you, you got the picture. <laughs> so... Yeah, do you agree with that? Scott McTominay's resurgence. Something to that. He's scored four goals in his last five matches, I think. Um, I mean, people talk about <laughs> Declan Rice for England. I actually happen to think Scott McTominay's a better midfielder than Declan Rice, Dale. He's quicker, he's a better athlete. I think he offers more going forward. I think there's definitely something something in that for sure. Future um, captain? For United. I, I think so. I, 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 from watching he's the games this he's season. He's already looks like a leader in the team. Now yeah. you could partly say that's a that's a bit of an indictment on some of the players that should be the leader. And let's be honest, Dale, I think we can all agree on the fact you've you've struggled to find anyone any United fan who'll disagree on the fact that the wrong person holds the captain's armband right now. I think you're gonna to struggle to find any disagreement from that. The person yeah. who is the captain has no business being the captain of United. Uh, we all figure that should probably be Bruno Fernandez, right? Well, certainly he should be considered a senior figure in the team. If you're talking about sort of like a pyramid, so to speak, or a hierarchy, um, Scott McTominay would definitely be at the top end of that, I think. Just another one on Harry Maguire. Um, So two questions before we go on to the West Ham preview. Matt Henderson asks, what he kind of says, that Maguire is going nowhere, unfortunately. How do we sort it out at the back? So he's kind of getting to that that Maguire is going nowhere. So he's not going to sell Maguire. He's going to be starting a centre-back next season. So what can Solskjaer do or what can the coaches do to ensure that this this problem works? You need to get new defenders, Dale. <laughs> That's it. You just need to get new defenders. That's the only way you're going to sort it. We could do it. Uh, I think we know we need a left-footer at centre-half. A good left-footed centre-half, right? What you've seen of Harry Maguire, that's what he is. That's as good as he's going to get. He's not getting any better than that. From what you've seen in European football this season... I know you watch that Italian football, and we speak about it a lot in the podcast. Is there anyone that jumps out that is a left-footed centre-back with, with pace that can, can play a pass forward, It's good in the box, good at defending set-pieces, that could fit alongside Harry Maguire? Because, actually, another point just on that, before you, if anyone springs to mind, I, I did say on the podcast a few weeks ago when, when Eric Bally was going through a terrific run of form, that, and we were kind of bringing up the, the topic about being potential title contenders, is that was a massive factor in that, is if United could have kept Eric Bally fit, and and since the, the the win away to Fulham, he hasn't played due to injuries, and we've really missed him. 
And it's just proof in the pudding that what we've been saying all season that the Harry Maguire and Victor Lindelof centre-back pairing is not good enough. There's problems now in goal. I wonder do those problems um, run deeper than De Gea being inconsistent for two and a half to three years? The best defender I've seen in Italy this season is Milan Skriniar, the, okay. the, the inter-centre-half. Inter yeah. I think if we've all watched him in the last two years, he's, he's a is really, he really good he's pretty He's pretty quick. Uh, but he's, he's almost like a... Uh, Frank Rijkaard, kind of Ronald Koeman sort of centre-half. Okay. But he, he's very good defensively as well. Um, he impressed me when I, mean, I watched him a few years ago, but I haven't heard a lot in the last two years. Even with links, he was linked to Barcelona at one stage. He has been linked to Manchester United. I don't, I don't think Barcelona can, can afford him, him right now. <laughs> they also say... Uh, Koulibaly, Mike. To be fair, um, I mean, I would say... Yeah, Koulibaly, although he's a little bit older now, but that's maybe not a big deal if he's if he's if he's at it, he's really good. Um I would have said um I don't know about Milan because the defenders are very young, but I mean he's not I mean Simon Kier has been really good at Milan this season, but he does lack a bit of pace, is Kier's problem, but he is very, very commanding, he's very dominating centre half. Um but I would have said Skriniar's Probably been the, the standout. I suppose the other one you could say, although he, he's maybe dropped off a little bit in the in the last few years, but he's come back again this season. Would be Romagnoli. He's the Milan captain. He came through the academy at Roma, but he went to Milan when he was very young. I think he was only about twenty when he went to Milan. So he would be the other one you would look at. He's good age as well. He's twenty six years old, and that's a good age to buy a centre half. That 25, 26, 27. And those would be the standouts. But like Milan Skriniar's. He's one of the best defenders in Europe, Dale. Like, I really mean that. He's outstanding. He's really, really good. Uh, just the cool, on Koulibaly, I can't get my head around how he's still at Napoli. Because in the past, say, five years, maybe four, three years, this guy has been spoken about as one of the best defenders in the world. And he's played in the biggest stages in Champions League um, with Napoli. But... He's still he's still at Napoli. He he never got that big move. I believe he's around twenty twenty eight, Mike. Um, but yeah, why? If he if he's really that good, why has he stayed in Italy for so long? Why hasn't he went to Spain? Why hasn't he went to the Premier League? And he hasn't even kicked up a fuss to do that. So I'm just wondering is is why is there's no drive in that player? He probably ended up at PSG. Napoli's a very lovely city. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I couldn't answer that one for you. Well, it's you. also um, a footballer who has suffered a lot of racist abuse in Italy. Yeah, I know. Um, but I don't know. There's things that balance. I always go back to when Paul Inns spent had his year at Inter, and he actually had a really good season at Inter, and he loved it there. Now, he had the problems with racist abuse, and in the end, his, his, his wife didn't like it, so she didn't want to stay. But he would have stayed. Like He would. He loved playing there. Players that go to this thing and play there tend to love playing there. So, uh, I don't know. You'd, you'd have to ask him. I'm, I'm not sure why that's happened either because I think about, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, Manolas, who went, I assume when he went to Napoli, when he left Rome and went to Napoli, I assume that was because that was because um, he was leaving, that Kulabali was leaving, but it just, it just never happened. I think at that point, they were building towards challenging for the league title and then lots of issues happened between the management and the owners and the squad and it all sort of fell apart then, really. Um, I think I'd prefer so to I see just... United sign up in Meccano in the summer. Yeah, but it's not going to happen, Dale. It's just not going to happen. 
I think if Bayern have, have got in there, then yeah. uh, by the sounds of it, that his preference is to go and play for Bayern as well, which I kind of understand. Um, but I still think United should be exploring the possibility of selling David Alaba. I mean, it'll cost a lot of money in wages, but they at least need to have a good look at it. There's Mike's call. Um, so last question from Brian Murphy. Can we swap Harry Maguire for one of the following? A, a PlayStation 5. B, a little pony. C, a traffic cone. Or D, a vaccine jab. <laughs> a bit harsh. A traffic cone's more agile than mobile than Harry Maguire, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would swap him for any of those, to be quite honest, Dale. Um, a little this, pony. This what, would you do? what would you do with a little pony? It's quicker than Harry Maguire. But does this not play into what I mentioned last week? That this is the guy who's a captain and seen as a... Uh, almost a, a generally your your senior players are fig, uh, figureheads at the club as well, aren't they? Right, mm. and they they deal with the media a lot and stuff. And this feeds into the fact more and more every week I get the sense that Harry Maguire is staggeringly unpopular. And this is and when you're staggeringly unpopular, and you cost eighty million pounds, and you're not playing very well. And you come across as a bit of a self-satisfied, arrogant buffoon. This is a real problem. I think United have. This is getting to the point with Maguire. I think the longer this goes on, United have got a big decision to make about him in the summer. The thing is, whatever happens with Maguire at Manchester United, they're going to lose a lot of money on this guy, and it's never going to be value. You're never going to get value out of no, this transfer. But I, I you think... can make a loss and selling a player, yeah. and still get value on that player, right? Yeah. So I think if you... I look at Rio Ferdinand, he paid what was a record fee for a centre-half in this country million. then. In fact, he was a record fee for an English player, I believe. And obviously when he left, he he went for practically nothing. But you can't say we didn't get value out of Rio Ferdinand. Of same with Evra. Yeah, exactly. Evra, Vidic... You know, Roy Keane left for nothing, but you can't say we didn't get value out of these guys. Well, that's you know, the thing, isn't it, Mike? To, to, to us, right? To us football fans. When you talk about value, it's very different when you're on the receiving end of when you're with, say, Edward Ward. Value to him is buying a player and making profit. Value to us as, as Man United fans can also, is that, that winning titles. That player can also make a lot of money for the club in terms of bringing a lot of commercial revenue yeah. to the club, right? Yeah. yeah. And if United are winning titles, then the club is financially going to be more yeah. successful. Yeah. So if who, United so... are the number one team in the country, I don't think we're, we we had that conversation we had earlier about Jesus United even going to have a shirt sponsor next season. I mean, really, I don't care about having an ugly logo on the shirt, right? But if it means United who. I don't think are debt-free by any means and have owners taken a lot of money out of the club, then United needs to have that sponsorship sorted. Um, and I, I think if United are the best team in the country, that's not a problem. Except we're not the best team in the country. We haven't been even anything approach even being the third best team in the country for most of the last seven years. Except last season. Just about. <laughs> we finished third in goal difference, didn't we? Right, so moving on. Quick preview for Tuesday night's game against West Ham. That means we'll have the next episode of the Stratycast on Wednesday. So West Ham drew the weekend um, with Fulham. An absolute bizarre sending off. The end, Mike Dean making his own show again. Looking again. At, again, looking at their form, Mike. They, they beat West Ham. Or, uh, 
Milassen Villa, 3-1 Lingard scoring two goals on his debut, which is great to see. He won't be able to play that this game, of course. Before that, they lost 3-1 to Liverpool, a struggling Liverpool side, may add. Um, and they also then beat Crystal Palace 3-2 for beating Doncaster 4-0. So yeah, they're a West Ham side that are in form David Moyes in fifth place. You know, they're just hanging outside the top four with a game more one more game played over Liverpool and they've one point less. So it's an impressive run of form for the Hammers with their ex boss David Moyes, Mike. Yeah, he's, he's done a very, very good job there. It's going to be a difficult game for United. And I don't think it will have um, slipped David Moyes' attention. United's glaring weaknesses in defence, especially on set pieces. If I'm David Moyes, I'd be saying to those players to try and get as many high balls into the box as you can, try and get as many corners or free kicks in and around the area as you can, and really cause them a lot of problems. I think that will be their strategy. And they'd be quite right to set that strategy. United need to win this. Even without, even if we'd have won yesterday, you know, you need to win this. But they really, really need to win this now. I said in the last podcast, you know, you needed to be looking to win every domestic game between now and the 28th of February when we have Chelsea and then Man City in the game after. And then we went um, and drew and, with Everton. Yeah, we went and drew with Everton. There you go. Um, so, yeah, they need to win. And um, I think maybe. They change one of the centre halves in this game. Who? Who would you bring in? <laughs> you if know, it, obviously Eric Bailly is fit. I think Harry Maguire needs to be dropped just to just to um, just a reminder of that your place is not as as not as um, as definite in this place as you might think it is. I think he needs a reminder. In fact, Harry. I'd drop him for the next. I'd, I'd drop him for the next two games, Dale. If we if if whoever comes in for him, if it's Eric. Isn't everybody been injured again? Yeah, we've been just since way win over Fulham. Right, and this is the problem with everybody. He's yeah. 26, 27 years. And it's, um, so maybe put Swanzebe in there. Just put him in there if Bay's not fit. And um, if we do all right defensively, then continue with those two at the back. But I think Harry Maguire needs a reminder. And it's the same with David De Gea. Dean Henderson I probably will play because it's a cup game, but he should play... Yeah, the league game after as well, which I believe is West Brom. Well, it actually comes, before we wrap it up, it comes at a good time for Dean Henderson this, because he gets his run out in the Cups, and surely if he puts in an impressive performance against West Ham at the, uh, on Tuesday night, that he deserves he deserves a, a pat on the back and a start in the league. If he, if, if, he, yeah. if, if he keeps a clean sheet and plays well, why not? Because the thing is, we've been speaking about David De Gea, and I've been at largely supportive of, of De Gea, but, it, but it's also getting to the point now, and I said at the end of last season, that we're approaching three years of, the, of these questions, and uh, it's just not good enough now. He, he is no, he's no longer the goalkeeper who takes us out of sticky situations. Yesterday, he was the goalkeeper who, you could argue, put us into sticky situations. The first goal, he crammed it right Yeah, there you go again. He could literally just have pulled that into his chest. And then, uh, I don't know what he was doing on the equaliser. He looked like he was trying to uh, play football while simultaneously ordering a pizza. I mean, it was incredible what he was doing there. Mike, thanks a lot for joining me. Um, Make sure you follow the Straightcast on Twitter. Subscribe to the podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and we'll be back again on Wednesday.
Social Podcast Network.